0: i flip back to Luke 3.21. It says, now when all the people had been baptized, right? And he's not saying that every person in all the region had been baptized, but as John is baptizing, Jesus comes out to be baptized. Now, I don't know if you've thought about this, like, Why? Why does Jesus come out to be baptized? Because what, what was everybody else doing when they came out to be baptized, right? They were showing their repentance. So is Jesus showing his repentance? You should say no, right? No, right? Because Jesus is, has no sin and has not sinned, right? So his baptism is not about him coming to get right before God or, or showing his repentance. That's not it at all. Matthew tells us in his account that it was to fulfill all righteousness, which basically means that Jesus did all that was required under the law. He did all that everyone was doing, right? Jesus was also circumcised, right? He had no sinful flesh that needed to be removed. Jesus also did all of these things. He he went to the Passover and sacrificed. He didn't need sin to be removed. But Jesus comes out, and he is baptized. And it says in verse 22... And the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. Now, Maggie, I, don't, I, didn't, I wasn't watching this morning, but did the Holy Spirit descend like a dove this morning on Maggie? No, I mean, I don't think so, right? I mean, we believe the Holy Spirit fills us when we're saved, right? But in this moment, this is totally unique. Now, Why? Why why is God, right, the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, why does God the Son need the Holy Spirit? Because he has come and he has put on flesh. He is 100% man, 100% God. He's fully God, fully man, and even Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, is filled with the Spirit, right? He too is in submission to what the Spirit says. And he is being led by the Spirit. He's being directed by the Spirit. He's being... Man, this is so hard because I don't want to say anything that's not true. But he is being led by the Spirit. We know that for sure to be true. And this moment is incredibly unique. Because not only does a, a bodily form of the Spirit come down and descend on Jesus, there is a voice, right? Now, this is not like... Like, I heard a voice inside of me, or my gut tells me, right? We use the language of voice. This is a voice from heaven such that everyone who was there heard it. That's the word that he uses here. And many people heard it, not just Jesus, not just John. And what, is, what does the voice say? You are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. God is not at this moment making him his son. We believe Jesus has existed forever, from eternity past to eternity future, and he's been eternally the son. But now in this moment, his identity is being revealed to the world, and and God himself says, you are my son whom, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. Now this is a small side note, but There's many people that do not believe in the Trinity, right? That's the word we use to describe the Godhead. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. There's all kinds of heresies when it comes to this. But this moment right here is incredibly important. Why? Because all three are present and unique in this moment. God the Father speaking from heaven. Speaking to God the Son, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit descending from the Father to the Son. All three are present, all unique, and yet one God. And if you, try, if you can get your head around that, please come, enlighten me with some knowledge this week, right? All we know to do with God is understand him the way he reveals himself to us. And the way God has revealed himself to us is that he is one God. Deuteronomy 6, the Lord is one But yet in this moment what do we see? He is three. He is unique. He is unlike anything we can even fathom. And if we compare him to anything else, like a like a clover or like ice or like all these other things, we miss the glory that God really is. But this moment is huge. Jesus is baptized. He's filled with the Holy Spirit. And then Luke immediately goes into his genealogy. Now again, I'm not going to spend time on this. I'm sure other more creative preachers could look at this and, and preach lots of sermons from it and pronounce all these names. But I think what's important for us to recognize is that Luke is highlighting again that, that Jesus is the Son of God. He's not just the, the Savior that's come for the Jews, Matthew in his gospel, when he produces the genealogy, he just traces it back to uh, Abraham. Why? Because he's writing to a Jewish audience, and that's what they care about. That that the Messiah is a, a Jew, an Israelite, right? But Luke, as we've said, this gospel is for who? Everyone. It's good news for everyone, regardless of whether you're of the family of Abraham or not. And so he traces... Jesus' sonship all the way back to Adam, the son of God, right? This is very important. Now, immediately after this incredibly high moment of, of being baptized, of being filled with the Spirit, of having his public identity, like he is out, people know that's the Messiah, that's the son of God. It says that immediately Jesus left look at verse chapter four, verse one. It says, "And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil, and he ate nothing during those days, and when they were ended, he was hungry. He he is full of the Spirit. And what it means to be full of the Spirit is that we are led by the Spirit. That's who we are as Christians. That's who Jesus is in this moment. He's modeling for us. That he is being led by the Spirit. And the Spirit leads him straight, not to Jerusalem (laughs) to do some amazing ministry, or not to the hurting and the broken to do something. He takes him To the wilderness the most barren place that they can even imagine there is no food there is very limited water and he is by himself with the spirit for 40 days and while he is there it says that he is being tempted by the devil now if you're if your Bible reading radar is on You hear the number 40, and you hear the wilderness, and what are we meant to think of? What are we meant to think of? The people of Israel who wandered in where? The wilderness. For how long? Not 40 days, but 40 years, right? And so Jesus is being set up as a picture of the true Israel, right? Israel is in the wilderness, and why are they in the wilderness? Actually, because they failed, right? Because of their sin. Because they could not just worship God and honor Him alone. They had to build themselves idols and all sorts of stuff. And so they spend 40 years in the wilderness, not because they're led by the Spirit, but they spend it out of what? Really a punishment until that generation passes away. And now Jesus is in the wilderness for 40 days. 40 years would have been a little long, I think, right? Right? Just kidding, 40 days. And during the time that Israel is in the wilderness for 40 years, at the very end of it, we get the book of Deuteronomy. It means the second giving of the law. And so God relays out for the people, this is how you are to relate to me. These are the things you are to do. These are the blessings that I'm going to give you. And it's interesting that as Jesus is tempted in the wilderness, do you know what book he quotes from? Deuteronomy, right? He's quoting from the law in the Old Testament that that Satan is tempting him in all sorts of ways. And Jesus is relying on the truth to fend that temptation off. Look at verse 3. It says, The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. Satan uses this phrase, if you are the son of God. Do you think Satan doesn't know? Do you think Satan is not aware of his identity? It's not true. Satan knows he is the son of God, but he is challenging Jesus at this point, and he's almost taunting him, right? He's almost, if if you're really the son of God, then why don't you prove it, even though he's about to do that for Three whole years If you really are the son of God Why don't you prove it right? And Satan is trying to Make him do something So that he will not be the son of God Because he knows that if, if He can get Jesus to sin If he can get Jesus to, to trust in him Or to worship him Then he will not be the son of God As hard as that is to imagine for us Why? Because there's sin Because then there's separation There's not unity There's not trinity and so Jesus, Satan's attempts here are, like, none of us are going to be tempted today to command stones to become bread, okay? Can we, can we level there? All right? That's not a common temptation that the rest of us are going to face. But it is for Jesus. Why? Because he's trying to get him to do something that shows that he is not unified with the Father. Living out the will of God the Father. So he he. he tempts him. He says, if you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. Now, what's wrong about that for Jesus to do? Is it wrong for Jesus? (laughs) Well, I don't know. We've never considered the magic arts and whether turning stones is moral or immoral, right? But what would be wrong about it for Jesus to do? Because the enemy is not tempting us with uh, broccoli, right? The enemy is not tempting us to be kind to our neighbor. The enemy is not tempting us to be uh, gentle with our words and reconciling with those we've done wrong. No, what is the enemy tempting us to? Sin. So we know this must be wrong for Jesus to do. In essence, what is wrong about this is that Jesus would not be trusting in God's provision, right? Right? It's the Spirit who has led him to the wilderness, and it's the Spirit who's kept him there for 40 days without food. And for Jesus to speak to a rock and make it bread would be him not living out the will of the Father. It would be him going against the Spirit who has led him there, right? And so this temptation really is for Jesus to doubt God's love, right? Right? That's ultimately maybe the easiest way to connect it to our lives. Because when we go through things, when we go through circumstances, and we, maybe we get a sickness, we get a kidney issue, right? And we start questioning, God, man, this do you love me? Are you really providing for me? Or, or we get some other diagnosis, or, or things don't go according to our expectations. We are prone to doubt God's love. Satan uses our circumstances to tempt us away from God's love, but Jesus in the wilderness does trust God's love and God's provision for him. Right? This, if, if we think about the imagery here, this is a dramatic reversal of what happened to the people of Israel in the wilderness. The people are in the wilderness for forty years. And though they are disobedient, what did God provide for them over and over every day? Manna, which is basically bread. But Jesus, fully obedient in the wilderness, has no bread. And Satan uses that to tempt Jesus. But Jesus, even though he did not have manna, still trusted God. And though the people of Israel did have manna, they did not trust God. Do you see this? Jesus is coming to fulfill everything that we could not be. He's doing everything that you and I could not do. He's fighting temptation. He's resisting the enemy. He's fulfilling the law. He's doing it all to fulfill all righteousness. And the way he combats this temptation is with truth. Look at verse four. He says, It is written, man shall not live by bread alone. What's the significance of it is written? He is quoting, like we just said earlier, Deuteronomy. He's quoting the scriptures. He's quoting the truth of who God is and what God has revealed. And so Satan comes to him and says, aren't you hungry? Don't you want to do this? Don't you want to shortcut this? And Jesus says, no, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. He combats the lie with the truth. And this is how temptation works. In Every one of our lives whether it's again. We're not going to be tempted with this But we are going to be tempted with lots of other things and it's a it's a truth claim by the enemy Wouldn't it be better to give in to that? Wouldn't you feel better? Wouldn't wouldn't life just go better right and Satan presents this truth claim just give in just take it Just do it. Just go there. Just say it. It'll be better He's presenting this truth claim that this thing will satisfy you. And what, how do we combat that? We have to know the truth. We have to know what really does satisfy us, what really is good, what really is true, right? And Jesus shows us that, that it's through God's word that we can fight temptation. Look at verse 5. And the devil took him up, And showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And he said to him, to you I will give all this authority and their glory. For it has been delivered to me and I will give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Listen, Luke doesn't know. I don't know. How does he show them all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time? I can't even wrap my head around that. But Jesus, in the wilderness, is shown all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time, the whole world. And Satan says, you can have this. It's been given to me. I can give it to whoever I want to. Now, is he telling the truth? In a sense, yes. Right? Scripture calls Satan the God of this world, right? He's been given some authority and some dominion over this world. And Jesus, in this moment, I'm sure tired, I'm sure exhausted, he's been given this opportunity. You can have all this glory, all this authority. Now, what's the truth in this situation? Jesus is going to have that authority and all that glory one day. He already does But he will have it one day as king who rules forever. And so the temptation is not for him to get something that he doesn't have. The temptation is to shortcut God's plan. The temptation is to not go through what he had to go through to get that glory, to get that authority. And so what Satan is trying to do in this moment, he's trying to get him to worship him. So that Jesus does not go through with God's plan. Because what does he know? If Jesus goes through with God's plan, what happens? His head is crushed, right? Genesis 3. And so Satan wants nothing to do with Jesus. He wants to shortcut this. He wants Jesus to doubt that God's plan and God's timing and God's everything is good and right. And so he tempts him with immediacy. He tempts him with fix it now, right? The only thing was, it would take Jesus bowing down and worshiping Satan. And how does Jesus combat this? Because I think it does feel enticing to him. He wants that glory. He wants that authority. But he says, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and only him shall you serve. Jesus knows the truth, that the, 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 the lie is, you can have all of this, and, and you can be worshiped, and you can be praised, and, 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 I'll, and all you got to do is bow down to me, but the truth is, no, the only one we are to worship is God. I won't do anything, I won't worship anything, I won't go through whatever to shortcut God's plan, Right? He knows the truth, that God's plan is to give us life and to give it life abundantly. The enemy's plan is to steal, kill, and to destroy us. Now this morning, you are not going to be taken up in a moment of time and see all the the kingdoms of the world and be offered authority, right? You're just not. It's not going to happen in the parking lot. It's not going to happen when you get home today, right? But you might be tempted to shortcut God's plan, You might be tempted to take matters into your own hands, thinking that God doesn't really know what's best, that he's not really working all things together for my good. We might be tempted to take a shortcut morally, or take a shortcut uh, relationally, or shortcut and try try to help God along as if he doesn't know what he's doing. That's the temptation here. And that's the temptation that we face. We don't like waiting. We don't like being patient. We want it now. We want instant gratification. We want to we just receive all this blessing. And, but that's not God's plan. God's plan is to use everything for our good in shaping us to be more and more like Christ. And so today you may be getting a kidney soon, but today you may not be getting a kidney soon. Right? God's going to do as much in the waiting as he is in the fulfilling and the providing of that kidney. Right? Right? So Satan tries a new tactic, and he takes Scripture, the truth of God's Word. He sees what Jesus is doing, quoting Scripture back at him, and he takes some Scripture, and he twists it. He gives it a new meaning, right? And he quotes these two passages, and... and for us, they're not familiar passages. But basically, these were passages that said that, the, that God would take care of the Messiah, of the anointed of the Lord, right? Even, like, if he falls down, he will not get hurt. He will, he will be protected. And so, what Satan is tempting Jesus with in this moment, in some sense, is true. In some sense, is good. And Jesus... does not give in to the temptation again because if the enemy's telling us it, it's not good. It's for our bad. And so in essence, he's tempting Jesus to act presumptuously, to force God to do something out of his will. He's being directed by the enemy's words, not by God's words, right? And he's, man, this is really similar, and it's, this is a hard one. I'm going to be honest. This is the one I struggled with a little bit this week trying to understand, But this is similar to some of the name it, claim it, prosperity gospel movement that says, well, God's word says this, and if you just do these three things, then you too will be rich, or you too will be healed, or you too will be blessed and highly favored, and all that sort of stuff. Taking scripture and saying, if you just do these things, then God will be forced to act. And that's kind of what... Satan is doing to him. Throw yourself down. See if God doesn't take care of you. And yes, God wants to take care of us. And yes, God wants to fulfill his word. But we are not God. We don't get to tell him when he does what he does. We don't get to force his hand. We don't get to use our faith like a, like a coin in a slot machine so that he'll pour out blessings for us. That's presumptuous. And that puts us In the position of God. That it's on our words. It's on our faith. We don't get to speak and tell God what he should do. And Jesus doesn't either in this moment. Right? He is waiting on God to speak and tell us what to do. God is not a genie in the clouds waiting for us to rub him the right way so that we get what we want. That is presumptuous of us. And that is as arrogant a claim as you can make. That you can... Coerce and manipulate God to get what you want. That is evil. And that does not give God the glory that he deserves. And so Jesus combats this twisting of Scripture with verse 12. And Jesus answered him and said, It is said, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Just like before, Jesus accurately take scripture the truth of God's word and he applies it to the situation and he goes no that's not true God did not tell me to do that God has clearly told me to do this and this is what I will do and I will be led by the spirit now again you're not going to be tempted today to jump off the balcony or to jump off the pinnacle of the roof wherever it is you're not going to be taken to Jerusalem and Satan's not going to tempt you with throwing yourself off and see if you get hurt. Let me just, you're going to get hurt. Don't do it. But we will all be tempted by by the enemy in so many ways. And he will even twist scripture. He He will take God's word and he will twist it to try to get us to follow our own desires, not his. Look at verse 13. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. We get the sense that, that this, these are just a few of the temptations that Jesus faced. Right? He's out there for 40 days. It's not like these are the only three. These seem to be the last three. But, but he's been attacked all along through the wilderness and the devil leaves and he's going to come back and he's going to keep attacking Jesus throughout this right throughout his ministry all the way to the end right this is not man if you just know the truth and you combat the devil then you'll never face temptation again no we are all going to face temptation just because you face temptation doesn't mean that you're not in the will of God okay you hear me if you face temptation to sin, that means that you're still living and breathing, right? But but we are not to give in to temptation to sin, right? I think it's interesting this, that Satan attacks in these ways because I think they're true in our life. He attacks Jesus right after his baptism, this spiritual high moment, right? And, it, and it's true in our lives. Sometimes when we have like a sense of that all is good, like this is going really well, we feel strong, we feel like we're really walking with the Lord, like that's a moment where we can be vulnerable for attack because we're de- maybe we're depending on our own strength or our, our emotions or something, right? But he also attacks Jesus when he's in the dumps, when he's hungry, right? Anybody get hangry in here? All right, me, I'm confessing that this morning. Give me about 30 minutes too long from a meal and I cry like a little baby right and he attacks Jesus in the dumps when he's physically exhausted and 40 days in the wilderness and, and that's true in our lives sometimes it's the pinnacle sometimes it's the spiritual high where we're vulnerable but sometimes it's when we just want any sort of comfort at all that's when we're most vulnerable he attacks Jesus when he is totally isolated and the enemy does the same thing to us right? He, he wants to attack us when we are all alone. And why are we vulnerable then? Because we got nobody speaking in going, no, that's not true. No, that's not, that's not what God said. No, that's not what's what's best for you. If we get in our own mind by ourselves, we are vulnerable just like Jesus in this moment. We're going to be tempted just like Jesus too. We might be tempted to doubt God's love. That he really loves us and he wants what is best for us. And that he's going to provide for us. We're tempted when life doesn't make sense to go, eh, maybe God's not real. Let me remind you of the truth. God loves you. And he proved it over and over again. He proved it mostly on the cross and in the resurrection. That he was willing to give up his own son for you. God loves you. And he paid the ultimate price for that. So whatever you're going through, don't doubt God's love. Don't don't give in to that temptation today. We're going to be tempted to doubt God's plan, to doubt that God has a plan and that God has a full picture of all that's going on. I mean, how arrogant of us with our such limited eyesight and our such limited perspective to think we know better than the God who created all of the universe and holds it together right now. We're tempted to shortcut his plan or to, to try to hurry it up. But we're going to be tempted in the same way. Let me, remind, let me remind you of the truth. God is sovereign. He is over all things and in all things and fully in control. And his ways are better than our ways. Man, there's so many other ways. These are not the only ways Satan is going to tempt us. It's going to be unique to you. It's going to be unique to your circumstances. And you better learn how Satan is tempting you. And you better learn God's word. Otherwise, you're going to give in. Otherwise, you're going to veer from the truth. Man, my prayer today is this. Is that we would learn from Jesus that we do not have to give in to temptation we can fight every lie of the enemy with the truth of God's word. And that's my hope for us today. Let me pray. God, we thank you for the truth of your word. God, I pray that you would use community around us to remind us. You'd use our own personal time in your word to remind us. You'd use the programs and ministries of the church to remind us. You'd use the preaching of your word to remind us. You'd use friends and coworkers and billboards and all sorts of things to point us back to the truth. God, we face all sorts of claims in our day that are not true and do not have our best intent at heart, God, but you do. You love us and you've proved that over and over again. God, and you want us to walk in your ways because you know that's what's best for us. And so I pray this morning, God, that we would not give in to temptation. God, that we would fight it with the truth. God, we love you. We pray all this in your son's name. Amen.